Oh, I still can't get over that intro. How good. And we're on episode nine of Educate Ebony, the metal edition. And last week I spoke to Chris Marrick from Marrick Media. Great guy. Great chat. I think I learned a lot about black metal, but also Viking metal. Oh my goodness. Way better than pirate metal. I said what I said. Twilight of the Gods by Bathory was the album he said to listen to. And so I did, of course, In the Dark with a Candle, like we spoke about. And it's just an awesome album. I really, really liked it. It just feels larger than life, you know? With the wind and the oars paddling through water, I think those sound additions just transported you to somewhere else. Even though I was just in my room in the dark, I feel like I could have been anywhere. I really like Blood and Iron. I think the intro was amazing and I love the riff. But actually all the intros on every single song were very descriptive and it's like he he just gave himself enough time to actually put together detailed tracks. I mean, what, the intro song, Twilight of the Gods, is 11 minutes. So, you know, there's plenty of room for exploration and there's plenty of time for you to like get into the song and be taken on the journey. I think that... You know, all the two, three, four minute songs of our day and age. Sure, they're great, but I think they contribute to, I guess, our attention span, you know? Because I noticed it myself. I was like listening to maybe Blood and Iron, which is 10 and a half minutes long. And I'd find myself starting to zone out and be like, oh, what is the time? When is this song over? And I'm like, hang on a minute. I don't think I do want this song to be over. I'm really enjoying it. But why do I feel like it's time for the next song? So I think it's a it's an exercise in not just self-restraint, but an exercise in patience and how to stay present for longer than three minutes. So I really liked it. And of course, like the songs, they don't make you want to tune out. They make you want to listen more because it evolves. And his vocals, he does a lot with his voice. He speaks, he sings, he like thunders almost. And all the sounds that he adds in, it is very Nordic and very, very Viking-like. It's really cool. If you haven't listened to Bathory, especially this album, Twilight of the Gods, uh, it's a must. And now I just really want a Batlord t-shirt. But let's move on to this episode, episode nine. Okay, I'd love to introduce Jake Taylor. He's the powerful frontman of In Hearts Wake, a spokesperson for the environment through his music, and he's pretty much made crowd surfing in a blow-up boat a total thing. So welcome to the podcast, Jake. It's so lovely to have you. Thank you, Ebony. It's nice to be here. Thank you for that one, <laughs> wonderful intro. Do you still crowd surf in the blow-up boat occasionally? The answer is no. Oh. <laughs> did it for many years in the same boat because we found out that plastic inflatables are actually really shit for the environment. Unlucky <laughs> for us. Someone pointed it out to us uh, and we were like, oh, you're totally right. Okay, <laughs> so we're going to use what we have and when it's done, it's done. And we repatched that boat. Kyle must have done it. I would say over 50 times because it went on Warp Tour and Warp Tour just got annihilated with the heat and yeah. then going in the trailer every night and the people and the parking lots and whatever. So it went around the world, I think 20 different countries and we have retired Patchy is the answer. Patchy, decent. Whose garage does he live in? I think he's in uh, Ben's basement, actually. <laughs> oh. Yeah, he'd be pretty sad, rolled up into something small so he could fly, fly him back. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> well, um, let's hear it. What is the one metal album you think I need to listen to? I think you need to listen to Limp Bizkit's Significant Other. Do you know it? That's the question. I do not know it. No. <laughs> Significant Other really? by Limp Bizkit. Yeah, I feel like I missed out on the big um, 
limp biscuit phase, to be honest. I don't know where I was, um, but I wasn't there. Okay. Well, it was big when I came out. Like, not just, yeah, it was big. I think it was big because it crossed multiple realms. It went to the pop world as well as the hip hop world. It wasn't just, um, oh, it's a metal band being played on MTV, Headbangers Ball. It was a, no, we're on video hits, we're on Rage, we're on MTV, we're everywhere. How did it cross so many genres if they're a metal band? Well, you'd call them a new metal band. Okay. Oh, okay. You know, but the thing is they played Woodstock, like in 99 at Woodstock, as well as playing, you know, where there's Download Festival, which is a big metal festival. They can they can cross kind of different terrains and they have a lot of hip-hop influences, but in the pop world they'd be considered, oh, yeah, a metal band probably. Oh, right. Okay, so it's not really like a, a metal band. They're not really a pop band, which is, I guess, what new metal is. Yeah, it's kind of like they just crossed into pop culture, I think. And, I mean, this album... I actually have, like, this is the cassette that I bought when I was nine years old. I still have it. <laughs> yeah, nice. It was literally one of the, I, I think it was the first heavy, you know, band cassette that I'd ever bought. And so that shows me, like, you know, being into soccer, like I was into soccer, AK football um, at the time. And, you know, obviously what was on video hits and stuff was I'm always aware of. And if this was entering my world at nine years old, um, then it was, you know, big at the time for me to find out about it when it wasn't one of my parents that passed it to me. So, yeah, I had it. I listened to it um, plenty. And I just, like, sort of refreshed my memory before before this as well to, like, just, like, see. And it still it still holds up, honestly. It still holds up today, I reckon. Yeah. Did you play it on the tape? Do you have a tape player? I don't have a tape player. Oh. <laughs> we have one. We do have one in the house and actually in the studio. But, um, no, I did the... The absolute lazy thing and just played it off, off Spotify on my phone while I made breakfast. So it's a breakfast album. It could be. It could also be after dinner. It could be at any time <laughs> of the day. Really. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about the album. What exactly about it uh, really stands out to you? Or oh, I did when you were when you were nine and still to this day. Well, it's just super creative, really catchy, and it's bold. Makes a lot of bold choices. I believe it's the stepping into the hip hop world that really. Um, like that was my bridge towards the new metal was like from the hip hop world because I was into a lot of hip hop at the time. And like it has, it's got Method Man, like Method Man from Wu-Tang Clan, you know, Method Man. No, but I know Wu-Tang Clan. Yeah. So he's, he, he's on a, like they've got him featuring on a track as well as Jonathan Davis from Corn. You know, have you heard of Corn? Yes, I have. <laughs> yeah. So like they, they were bringing, um, you know, if you've got a record and you've got like, hip hop's biggest band guest focus on your record. And you've got new metals, biggest, you know, vocalist guy from corn. You kind of like already like straddling different worlds. So it was the creativity. It was the catchiness and it was the, like it had a lot of attitude. And I really, at nine years old, I kind of picked up on that. Yeah. How many albums had they released before this one? Or was this like their breakout album? Yeah, I think they released one album before this. So you call it breakout, but I actually checked what a chart here in Australia. It was number five on the charts, which is still like a big result, but it wasn't like it was a number one huge, huge album. It was big in the US though. Let's have a look. Just discography to tell you it was the second or third. Looks like it was the second. $3 bill was the first one. So yeah, it was the second album. And they followed up with another album one year later, which is pretty nuts. Oh, wow. That's actually so fast. Yeah, it's yeah. really fast. And they just really rolled it over. So Fred Durst, he's the lead singer. He's a very controversial kind of a guy always like in the spotlight for sort of the wrong reasons as well as some of the right ones, but he's really good at playing that game. 
And he, I think he, like, he had a romantic fling or an affair with Britney Spears. That was pretty big in the media. <laughs> so he was, yeah, again, crossing different worlds and, you know, ending up with a pop spotlight as well. That's pretty big for a band's second album to have, like, huge guests, to be making huge charts and, and the news and everything. I don't know, like, how do you even do that? It wasn't exactly like we had the internet as a huge source back then. Yeah, I guess that shows how infectious, like, their songs were. And that obviously generated a huge, huge team behind them to put them on the right tours and on radio. And like, if you've got fire, so to speak, you know, wildfire will spread if it is bold, catchy and gets people's attention. And it really did, clearly. It was provocative. I think that's a big part of it was provocative. Like Rage Against the Machine were really, um, for another band, they were like all about um, calling things out, not being afraid to like stick it to the man in that sense. Very um, political base, whereas this was much more, provocative attitude saying sort of things that were more of the MA to R-rated stuff, which you would normally be allowed to say, you know, whether it's the F word or it's like saying really inappropriate stuff. The rap world was kind of getting away with, but not really in the new metal world. Yeah. And here you were at nine just being like, oh, <laughs> am I allowed to listen to this? <laughs> Even says the sticker on the front, it's um featuring number one single, Nookie. And I didn't know what Nookie meant or who was referring to at the time. So there I am like singing along to this, you know, I did it all for the nookie, like, like, you know, <laughs> at nine years old, I had no idea. And I actually remember, I think it was just, just last year, like I brought up this, the track talking to my mom about it. And she's like, oh yeah, I remember that song. I used to love it. And then she looked, looked at me like, you know what it means, right? And I said to her and she's like, what? Like she, and she, and then she clicked about what nookie was referring to, which is very inappropriate. Then she was like, oh my God, she's like, how was I letting you listen to that at nine years old? Like. <laughs> Like, and she was jamming along to it as well, thinking it was just innocent, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, apparently Fred claimed that he saw the word on the front cover of a porno magazine and um, was, like, going through how he was, yeah, his basically ex-girlfriend was and um, the line, I did it all for the Nookie, and then, the like, the rough demo title was Nookie and that ended up sticking as the actual title. They got away with it. Wow. Those times, people wouldn't let that fly now, would they? Or would they? Mm, don't know. Everyone's a lot more open. It's hard to say. Depends about the context. I think the context, you've got to be, you know, yeah, a little bit more. You've got to be a bit, little bit more. Conscious. Um, yeah, it's conscious and um, respectful as well. Like you can't, you know, unless you're just going for that fully provocative thing, which I guess they probably would still try to do that kind of stuff. I don't know what it would be in this in this day and age. But we are also a lot more open with our languaging in terms of being able to swear and like say things. I mean, go look at um, Cardi B stuff. Like, you know, she's super provocative, you know, yeah. very powerful woman doing things in a different way. And in some ways it's like in the pop world, she's doing to that what Limp Bizkit were doing to the, the metal world at the time. Yeah. Just bringing in fresh perspectives. That's interesting. I feel like, especially as a band that, I don't know, straddles two or three different worlds and that have fans everywhere with their future stuff, how would they keep everyone happy? Well, that's just not what they'd think about. Yeah, I, I think it was the, yeah, the opposite. It was kind of like we're about pushing the edges of what this is. If we don't keep pushing those edges of what this is, then the fans won't like it, so to speak. So they kind of established that from the get-go. That was their thing. You know, they didn't have one thing. When metal band, it's like, no, we've got hip-hop from moment one. And that creativity was, uh, was celebrated. Oh, my goodness. Does that mean that Nookie is still your favourite song on the album or you have other, other faves later down the line? 
Well, just because it was a big track when I was nine years old, <laughs> like, it's hard for me to say that, you know, it's not. But like, it's it's definitely matched by, I, w- I would say, two other songs. Break Stuff, which is huge. That's the song that they got arrested for at Woodstock when they played it. And like, apparently the sea of humans were like tearing off the plywood off the sides of fences and like, just like going nuts. And so they got, they got arrested for like inciting violence, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. So, but you know, it's just one of those days. That's the opening line of break stuff, um, the track. And so whenever anyone says, you know, like, how are you doing? And they go, oh, you know, it's just one of those days. Like it always triggers that song in my head. Like the song starts playing and it's very clever lyric writing. Cause it's just like, you know, it's the start of a bigger story and you go into it. So that would be my other track. And then that's the method man and together now, which is just like a breath of fresh air on the record hearing hip hop, like kind of be a bit gritty and, and like it's from Brooklyn, New York as well. Like it's got that like graffiti and like street kind of a vibe that Biggie and Wu-Tang and stuff are bringing out. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I feel like um, when, you know, when you're young and you listen to an album, it's your entire world for like a however long. And then, you know, you grow up and you sort of forget about it or then you come back to it. When did you actually realize that this is a big band and this is a big album? I mean, gee, I don't know. I mean, at the time I thought it was big, but I didn't realize it was in the metal world. I think probably in my later teens, much later teens, yeah, realising like how much of an influential album it was. I think I always thought they were a big band because they were on MTV and stuff. But yeah, seeing how much it affected the new metal scene and like paved the way for a lot because they were getting written off as a as a corn copy band and then they came out with this record with the corn singer on it to kind of be like, <laughs> ha ha, like, we're so much, we're so different than Corn, but also here's the Corn dude, you know, like. Yeah. <laughs> so they kind of, it's went like this and they just forked off and went on their own route and it really influenced a lot of bands. So influential for sure. And I think it was, yeah, my later teens that I really realised that. Yeah. And is that when you were like getting into um, bands and making music as well? No, I was like, I was honestly 13, 14 making my music, like with In Hearts Wake members. Yeah, we were that old. First kind of, well, first show I was in the crowd going nuts would have been 13, I think, watching Terror play at the Bayern Youth Centre. But I'd seen Black Flag and the Hard-Ons when I was 11. Before that, like on side stage to see the energy of a crazy crowd. So that really like started off my journey to music. But I came in through hardcore rather than through new metal and metal when it came to actually being at concerts. And then I kind of, yeah, I realized, coming full circle, I realised this was planting those, this Limp Bizkit album was planting those seeds for heavier music, distorted guitars and breakdown yeah oh it's so unfair that you got to go to gigs when you were like 11 like that just wasn't even in my peripheral vision anywhere at 11 that's amazing byron bay must have been like huge for that sort of stuff yeah oh it's like yeah it was it was huge totally luckily we were in a time when um people weren't being like you know lawsuits weren't being like given out left right and center it was much more relaxed and laid back in terms of those things so therefore youth centers would like happily hand over the keys to someone wanting to rent it for the night to have a gig without public liability, you know, and without security guards because no one's going to get sued and they'd have to have like, you know, four, four exit doors for, um, you know, the capacity of people as a fire escape thing, the security cameras and all these different like government things, which are there for safety. But what they do is they kind of constrict and suffocate the underground from actually existing. So it was in an age when those things could could take place and that's why Byron Bay had this energy that it did for um, Byron Bay Hardcore to like thrive in a youth centre and then that Perth Parkway Drive which then 
magnetize bigger bands to pull through and be part of the chaos. Definitely. I don't think I realized how influential Byron Bay actually was in all this stuff before. Like I just, you know, it's just a, what, a hippie beach town and it's lovely and, you know, raw food and everything. But yeah, it didn't occur to me until like, yeah, you hear about it. So yeah, it was big. It was cool. It was big. Yeah, it was cool. It was cool. It was good. All the kids had a place to, to put their energy, you know, in a constructive like way rather than rather than like drugs and vandalizing other things. Like at least in my perspective, it was the opposite. We were like there, like mosh, you know, what do we call it? Mosh, fight dancing, whatever they call it. Yeah, going nuts. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Did you ever get a chance to see Limp Biscuit live? I haven't, not yet. They've, they've played a few festivals we've played, but opposite years or like different days so it'll happen when it's meant to happen and if it's not that's okay too but uh yeah here's here's to here's to limp biscuit significant other and nookie <laughs> yeah yeah um especially with this album uh is there an aspect that you really love or that you reckon maybe others overlook or we don't hear because for example i've never listened to the album what should i be looking out for creativity bold choices i think people play it too safe nowadays I reckon they were really nurturing their inner, inner desire to like push boundaries. And I think that's a really healthy place for art. Oftentimes artists will, you know, they are thinking of the fans, but they're also thinking about in doing that, they're just wanting to um, make it successful, sell X amount of copies or like the numbers game. So like, what's the formula, what's the quickest way to that rather than going about it in a different way. And I feel like on this, they really push that. So listen for creativity and even in the artwork, like it's got like a, you know, it's, it's like a street graph kind of style with like yeah. this guy in the baggiest pants wearing those classic Adidas, you know, shoes that were really huge in the breakdance community. I remember those, those shoes being <laughs> massive when I was doing breakdancing. And um, he's wearing a New York Yankees like red hat, which is Fred Durst's signature thing. So it was always kind of a bold for a new metal cover. It's very hip hop. Yeah, it is. It does not look metal at all. I mean, that's blue in there. Where's the black? That's right. It's totally, yeah, it's totally not that. What an interesting album. And what are my what are my listening notes? How should I listen to this album? Um, the intro is great. Like it's weird. It's good. They give you constant like palate cleansers and refreshes rather than just relentlessness. So just start start at the top and get to the end. And it's good to just have on while you're doing stuff. You don't have to like sit there and like fully pay attention. And you'll hear the hip hop really come through. And you'll probably be humming some of the choruses afterwards. So it's dangerous. Careful. It's dangerous. All right. Well, I might just chuck it on. Go about my day. Make some breakfast. Eggs always. Eggs are the best <laughs> breakfast, just saying. Everyone needs to know that. 100%. How are you doing your eggs? Poached. Definitely. Nice. Well, you got extra time in cooking your eggs. You'll be able to, you probably could get through that chunk of the album by the time you, you're finished. Is it a short one? Well, I mean, I can't tell you the exact run time without going to, you know what? Let's do it. I'm going to do it right now. <laughs> But like poaching eggs, by the time you pop your toast, poach your eggs, do your dirty bread, eat clean, like you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna be getting through it. Let's have a look. Does it have minutes? No, it doesn't. You know, that's a Spotify question, I think it is. Spotify. Letting us down. I thought they had everything. They no they will. I was on um Wikipedia. Let's have a look. Oh, Wikipedia. It's well, a- they know everything. Wow. All right. So it's longer than I thought. It actually goes for an hour. Oh, really? That's a long breakfast. That sounds beautiful. So That's like a en- Sunday morning thing. Yeah, enjoy that. Yeah, it's got Method Man. But yeah, tracks to look out for is Nookie, Break Stuff, and Together Now. But 
the intros, outros, and interludes are really entertaining. Awesome. Is it um, the interludes are like uh, instrumental? Um, no, they've got like, oh, which one is it? They do like when I say, I mean, sometimes they're tacked on to the ends of tracks and they're just, it's like in a lot of hip hop and rap albums, like have, whether it be a phone call or something comedic happens, you'll pick up on it as it's happening. It's got a good flow to it. Okay. That makes sense. Cool. Well, there we have it. The one metal album that Jake Taylor from In Hearts Wake thinks that you and I should listen to is Significant Other by Limp Biscuit. Jake, thank you so much for your wisdom. I can't wait to listen to it from your point of view. Pleasure. Nine-year-old me's waving his cassette, being stoked that you're going to listen to it. <laughs> Quick fact, they sold 16 million copies of it worldwide, which is I mean, unheard of nowadays, but that's how big it became. It's pretty mental.